Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both online and in person. Now, in person, we pray together. We worship through song together. We gather together as a community. And then throughout the week, we have small groups that meet in homes and uh, online and uh, just all kinds of different places throughout the week. And you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com for more information. If you are uh, listening to this audio only, that means you're uh, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You just have to search Faith on Hill for all of our online content. We have a video live stream on our Facebook page and our website, faithonhill.com. We want to say welcome. We are glad you are here. Uh, We are in our second to last week of our study of the book of Job. And then after that, we are going to go into the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, for some people, that's like, Wait a minute, man, because it's full of weird stuff, and there's literally dragons talked about and all this kind of thing. Like, I don't know if I want to deal with that. The goal of our study is to talk about Jesus. That is the goal. It is the revelation of Jesus. That's the name of the book. And so we want to focus on him and him alone. Now, if you're really excited about it, I will warn you, this may not check all the boxes of any prophecy sermon series you've ever heard before. Our goal is to go into the book of the Revelation with open eyes, a fresh perspective wherever possible, and to just say, what is it that the Bible is telling us about Jesus? So that's what we're going to be in a couple of weeks, starting the book of the Revelation. But today, we are going to start in chapter 38 of the book of Job as we come one week away from finishing this book. Let's study God's Word together. Well, in Job chapter 38... After all of the pain and all of the suffering, after the back and forth between Job and his friends, after the long-winded message of Elihu to Job, God himself speaks. And chapter 38, verse 1 says, Then Yahweh spoke to Job out of the storm. And he said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me, if you understand, who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched out a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light, their upright arm, their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. And for the next several chapters, God 
continues with this theme speaking to Job. Where were you when the world was created? Were you the one who put all of this together? Are you the one who takes care of the birds in the sky and the beasts of the field and the creatures of the sea? Where have you been? You know, in, in chapter one of verse, uh, uh, chapter thirty-nine, verse one, it says, "You know, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the the doe bears her fawn?" He's saying, I, "Are you able to see and and experience and and comprehend all of these things that are beyond you?" And I could see somebody reading through these chapters saying, "Well, we do know these things." I watch a lot of nature documentaries, and you know they can put these cameras inside of nests and and dens and in holes, and they can see all of these things now. So somebody might say, well, that was for an ancient, simpler time. But the truth is, as our knowledge of the world and the universe has expanded, so have our questions. There are more things that we just don't know and we just don't understand But God sees and understands, and not only understands them, but designed and created them and set them in motion. And he is coming to Job and saying, you have been challenging me, questioning me. You have have been asserting that I am somehow mistaken or misinformed. Yet, can you answer these questions? Do you know these things? And, And the answer is no, he did not. And maybe God might come with, to us with a different set of questions. And we would say, no, we do not understand those things. There are things that are still beyond our knowledge, beyond our understanding, things that we can only guess at. And Job responds, he responds in chapter 40. In verse 3, it says, Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Brace yourself. Verse 7, the Lord said, Like a man, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Will you discredit my justice? Will you condemn me to justify yourself? Echoing the words that God had given Elihu in the previous chapters. Do you have an arm like God's? Can your voice thunder like his? And then he continues on with this idea of, Job, who are you? And he he goes over the the stretches of the, the world that God has created and his power and his vastness. And he and he says. What are you doing, Job? And again, Job replies in verse 1 of chapter 42. And Job said to the Lord, Yahweh, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? And surely I spoke of things that I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Now, there's a lot there. And I'll say this. First of all, I want to say, the reason I'm saying Yahweh, and if you're reading the the text, you might say, well, in in chapter 42, verse 1, it doesn't say that Job replied to Yahweh. It says that Job replied to the Lord. 
And we talk about this a lot on the 20-minute Bible, stu- Bible study podcast. But anytime in your Bible you see the word Lord in all capital letters, that is the ancient Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, or perhaps Jehovah, although I tend to go with the Yahweh pronunciation and I won't bore you with why. But whether it's Yahweh, whether it's Jehovah, whether it's another uh, pronunciation altogether, the translators there choose to just go with the Lord, all capital, to let us know, here's this word, the tetragrammaton is what it's called, and this word for the name of God that we do not know how to pronounce And so that's how you know what that is. Now, that being said, the reason I choose there to go with the name Yahweh specifically is an understanding that Job isn't just speaking to the heavens. He isn't speaking to the gods. He isn't speaking to anyone out there who might be listening. Now, maybe you've prayed prayers like that, and there's nothing wrong with where you are at in in honesty and sincerity, just reaching out to the divine. And saying, God, wherever you are, whoever you are, if you can hear me, if there's more than one of you, if you're a man or a woman, we we make this general plea to the heavens. But Job is being very specific. He is praying to the God of the Bible, Yahweh, not to Baal, the pagan God, not to the Asherah, who was a pagan God of the ancient times in that part of the world, not to the gods of Babylon, not to the the ancestors, not to the spirits. He is praying to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God who became a man, the man Jesus Christ. And so it's important to understand that Job is choosing a specific response to a very specific and the only one true God. Also, what makes this different? Because even though God stretches out his power and and presence and his vastness beyond our understanding, it's not terribly different than the words that Elihu spoke to Job. And there are elements of the words of Elphaz and Bildad in God's words to Job. What makes it different? Why is it that before Job has said over and over, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And now he silences himself and he says, I repent. What makes this time different? Why did Job respond to the whirlwind and not to Elihu or to someone else? And I believe the answer is the presence of God. All that we can have here is the written word. Sometimes maybe you you see a, a terrible storm. You see powerful winds. I've seen footage of tornadoes lifting houses and school buses and containers up and throwing them around as if they were nothing. It's one thing to hear about it. It's one thing to read about it. It's one thing to see it. It's another thing to experience it. It's one thing to see video of howling wind or pouring rain. It's another thing to stand in the midst of the storm and the hurricane. I one time, when I was living in California, somebody said, you know, only the surfer knows the feeling. And I was was like, what? What does that mean? Because I'm not a surfer. And he says, exactly. You're not a surfer. But only somebody who has gone to Hawaii or some other part of the world where this happens, where the big waves happen, 
Only somebody who has gone up and gone into the pipe on those big waves as they curl and, and you see them go through that curl. Only they can know what that is like, what the sound is like, what the feeling is like, what the fear is like, what the excitement is like. Uh, you know, it's, it's well known. I'm a man. A man has no idea what it's really like to give birth to a child, but all the moms know what it's like. There, there are things that only somebody who's been there and done that can say, I've done that, I've experienced it. I believe that the difference wasn't the words of God. It was the presence of God. The presence of God that Job was experiencing was what made the difference. It wasn't just that there was a storm and God somehow was speaking in the midst of the storm. There are plenty of storms. There are plenty of times where we've, we've stood with awe and wonder as the winds have blown and the waves have crashed and the rains have come. And yet, the presence of God was somehow uniquely there in the storm. And this isn't actually that dissimilar, but it's also very different from the experience of the prophet Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 19. This prophet, Elijah, was in a cave on a mountainside, and he experienced the storm. And yet, the presence of God wasn't in the storm. In his experience, the presence of God came after the storm and he heard a still, small voice speaking to him. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that Adam and Eve walked in the garden with God. We don't know what that means exactly, but with Yahweh, they walked in the garden of Eden. They experienced his presence. In Acts chapter 9, Saul, who would more famously become known as Paul, the apostle. But Saul experiences the presence of God. He is on the way to the city of Damascus, and he is thrown to the ground by blinding light as the presence of God becomes manifest. It, it, it's tangible as he is on this road to Damascus. And there were other disciples whose names we don't know. But right after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were on a different road. They were on a road to a town called Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And Jesus came and walked alongside them, only they didn't recognize that it was him. They just, they just were talking with this person who had traveled alongside them. And after Jesus revealed himself to them and then disappeared, they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures to us? There was something about Jesus explaining to them through the scripture that the Messiah must suffer and die and then rise again. That there was a tangible effect. They said our hearts burned within us. So we have these similar yet different things. Job experiences the presence of God in the storm. Elijah experienced it not in the storm, but in the smallness and the quiet and, and almost silence. Adam and Eve walked with God Saul was walking and was knocked over by God. These other disciples were walking to Emmaus and they were taught by God. All of these different ways that believers, both Old and New Testament, both ancient and near ancient, and even in our own day, have experienced the presence of God. Christians throughout the ages have experienced and found the presence of God in different ways. 
Firstly is the table, the communion table, the bread and the cup. There's a reason that some Christians call them sacraments, means of grace. Now, I'm, I won't bore you with a theological debate, but I, I tend to not be somebody who views communion and baptism as sacraments. But I view them as incredibly important. And I respect and I honor and I acknowledge the experience of those Christians, both ancient and modern, who have found and experienced the presence of God as they have taken communion. I have known people in our own day, in this day and age, who say, when I go to the communion table, it's when I feel the closest to God. Uh, I, I, have my friend, uh, I have a friend who, um, I won't name him just in case anybody knows him, because he does live in Oregon, but he's not part of our group of churches. But he went through hell on earth. We've been going through Job, and this is a friend who just went through all kinds of intense suffering about 20 years ago. Suffering that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. And he said, what got me through was that I would go to church. He's a pastor. I would go to the church every morning, and I would sit in the dark in that meeting room, and I would pray, and I would take communion. And that brought him through. He experienced the presence of God. It was also the Lenten season. I am not a fan of Lent. I, I, I say this every year. And if you celebrate Lent, I am not knocking you at all. But he experienced the presence of God through taking communion, the table, and the observance of Lent. Others have found the presence of God and felt it and experienced it through the word. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, our hearts burned within us as the scriptures were opened. And as the Bible is opened, as it's taught, as it's studied, the, the presence of God is experienced. Perhaps you're, you're studying it and God opens your, your mind to different things and you start turning and, and moving and saying, oh, I'm going to look here and I just see this and God's changing my life. Others have experienced it through music throughout the ages different forms, different styles, but through music and expression and worshiping through music, they have experienced the presence of God. I would testify to that in my own life. That, that there, there have been moments where I have experienced the presence of God, but there are two key and pivotal moments in my life, and both of them involve times of worship through song and prayer. One was in California one was in Austria, both of them in the mountains. And there I experienced in very unique and unusual ways the presence of God. Others, through prayer, there are testimonies of people who have devoted themselves to prayer. And as they have prayed and given themselves to prayer, they have felt the presence of God. I have at times just found myself so close to God in prayer. In our small groups, I've sat in prayer and just experienced God's mercy in, in unique ways. Others have found the presence of God communally. as we Not communion like the bread and the cup, but communally as we gather together. That, you know, where it says in the Bible, where two or more are gathered in God's name, there the presence of Jesus is. And so they, they come and they experience grace and, and safety and among the people of God. And we talked a few weeks ago about toxic Christians and toxic churches, and I totally acknowledge that's real, but I've also, I also know that the church has been a place of safety and healing for me and for others. And so as they have 
found the presence of God by entering into community and connection with other believers. We also have to acknowledge isolation. There have been Christian hermits and monks and those who have gone away for a time, seasons in the wilderness, and then come back the better for it. My point is this. The presence of God cannot be manufactured, cannot be taught, cannot be said, if we just do this one thing, then we will experience the presence of God. That's one of the reasons why we try to have a diversity of options on Sunday morning. You come, there's music. There's the teaching of the word of God. We have communion once or twice a month. We, we have open prayer. We gather together in small groups and on Sunday mornings. These are all ways in which people have, throughout the centuries experience the presence of God. And yet, it can't be manufactured. Some people, honestly, would prefer that we do communion less. And I'll, I will say, I have never experienced a unique grace of God through communion. I'm thankful to be obedient. It reminds me of my connection to Jesus and to the church. I enjoy communion, but I've, I can't say that I've ever experienced the presence of God as I have taken the bread and the cup. Others testify to that. Baptism, I didn't mention because it's kind of a one, generally speaking, a once or maybe twice in a lifetime thing. But, you know, I've heard stories of people experiencing the presence of God in their baptism. Jesus, the human part of Jesus, do I fully understand how this works? No, I do not. But the fully human part of Jesus experienced the presence of God the Father and the Spirit at his baptism. Others have testified to experiencing the Lord's presence in theirs. I went in, I got wet, I was obedient. I'm thankful to be obedient, but I can't say that I did. I've experienced the presence of God in music. I've experienced the presence of God in prayer. I've experienced the presence of God as the word of God has been taught and opened and embraced and surrendered to. I've experienced the, the presence of God both communally and in isolation. But what the difference is, to my mind, is that Job experienced the presence of God, and that changed his whole position. Now, you might say, Adam, you just said it can't be manufactured, it can't be taught, then I've never experienced God's presence. What's wrong with me? Let me say this. Let me say a few things. First, don't try to make something that is unique or special common or ordinary. The presence of God. I've been walking with the Lord, following him as best I can for a long time now. I'm 41 years old. I've been a Christian most of my life. And yet, there are two times in those years, in those decades, where I could say I had a unique experience with the presence of God. And there have been many other times where I would say that I felt the work of the Spirit in my life uh, a, a charismatic experience. But there are really just two times of, of unique feeling the presence, the weight of the glory of God. The first time, I did not see it coming. And I, can, I cannot explain what happened in that moment, in that place when I was 14 years old. 
but I knew that God was real and with me and powerful and his hand was upon me in that moment. And you know what? As I was thinking about people and their experiences with the presence of God, it's kind of like Saul on his way to Damascus and Jesus just blindsides him with his love and his truth and his glory. And then there's Job and Job's been waiting a while. Job has been waiting for the storm to come and for God to speak. He has been calling God out, come and speak to me. The second time, when I was 19, that I could say I uniquely experienced the presence of God, I had been praying for almost six months for a breakthrough spiritually in my life. I had been praying and seeking God specifically concerning the gifts of the Spirit. I felt the first time like Saul, blindsided. The second time, like Job, I had been waiting for God to respond. And hopefully, I I like to think, I hadn't been as snotty as Job has been the last few chapters. But I'd been waiting on the Lord. And so I would say this. Sometimes the presence of God is experienced when we least expect it, when we don't even have words to describe it. I did not grow up in a... uh, Pentecostal church experience, uh, the group of churches I was a part of, uh, theologically are charismatic, but they're like the Diet Coke of charismatics. They're like charismatics, but they have like the seatbelt firmly on. Theologically, we had words for it, but practically, we were like Baptists. We just didn't talk about it. It wasn't a big deal. And then all of a sudden, I have this experience. I don't even have words for it. And then there's times where we do have words for it. We do know what's coming, but it's been a time of waiting. It's been a a season of when is this going to happen? But the presence of God is what changed Job. It's what changed his heart. It's what changed his attitude. It's what changed his whole stance towards God and his situation. And let me say this. Believers do not need to convince anyone to believe. We only need to be like Elihu. We speak the words that God has given us, as imperfect as we are. We say what God has given us to say as best we can, and God willing, we say no more than that. And we trust the Holy Spirit to do the work that needs to be done between them and the person. We testify of what we know, we give what we have been given, and we trust that our words might be used from God, but the truth is it is his presence, his spirit, that is going to do the heavy lifting. That's towards non-believers. Those of us who are believers and we're saying, why is it that there seems like a disconnect between what I believe and how I act, how I live and what I would like to live like? What is the change? And I believe that we've tried all of these things. Christian tri- Christians try, uh, if I just learn enough things, if I just learn enough things, if I just do enough prayers, if I just give enough money, if I just give enough time, if I go on a pilgrimage, if I go into isolation, if I embrace Christian community, whatever it is, that'll do it. And nothing changes. And we say, why has nothing changed? It's because we aren't waiting on these things to change us. 
We are waiting on the presence of God, the Spirit of God, to move in our hearts, in our souls. And what changes Job is not the Word of God, although it's true, but it's the presence, the power of God in his life. And yet, the Word of God is present. This is being written down in the Bible. God has a lot to say from verse 38 or chapter 38 to chapter 30, uh, 41. God speaks a lot. The word of God is there. In fact, in uh, chapter 42, verse 7, it says, After Yahweh had said these things to Job, he said to Elphaz the Temanite, that's Job's three friends, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So take now seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Elphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shulite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord Yahweh told them and Yahweh accepted Job's prayer. And after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. The word of God was present and active. I believe that we have this verse, chapter 42, verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, then this. And I believe the reason we have this before and after verse is that God wants more for us than just his presence in our lives. Oh, he wants our lives full of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to experience his presence and his power. But he's looking for response. There are those Christians and some churches and Christian traditions, they only want the experience. I want that feeling. I want that emotional elation. I, I want that whatever it is, or the opposite. I want that quiet solitude. I don't want to swing from the chandeliers and get all ruckus. I want to sit in silent contemplation and have no one disturb me. But whatever experience you prefer, whether you want the big explosive emotional experience or the quiet individual contemplative experience or something in between, I believe that the reason we have these verses is that God wants more than just for us to experience his presence because there are many who have experienced the presence of God, those who have tasted of the grace of God, those who have seen the power of God at work in this world, and yet they walk away continuing to live in their own rebellion. God wants our response. He wanted Elphaz and the two other friends to respond and repent. He wanted Job to forgive. Because that's what Job needed to do. To pray for his friends. It wasn't about Job being like a priest and, and you have to go to a priest for forgiveness. It was about Job personally being wronged by these three men. And Job needed to publicly forgive them. God wanted response. And there are people who minimize the word of God and the importance of the word of God because they only want the presence of God. They only want the experience. They only want the emotion. They only want the solitude. They only want the moment. But God wants so much more than that momentary experience. I, I remember 
the, that night, the first time I experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was 14 years old, I didn't even have words for it yet. It was only later as I started to read the, the Bible more fully, and I was like, oh, hey, that's, that's what that's talking about. Because, you know, the, like, the, the kids' stories in the Bible, right? The kids' stories, they might say, oh, the Holy Spirit def- descended on the church, and, and there's a little coloring sheet you do, and you get to color fire, flames of fire over the heads of the disciples from Acts chapter 2. You don't really understand it. And then I experienced it, and as I read the Word of God, and I understood, oh, okay, that's what's going on. But I remember that night, before I went to bed, I, I recalled the story of the manna. As the children of Israel were in the desert and God provided food for them called manna that appeared each morning. And one of the things about manna was that it it rotted after 24 hours. If you tried to collect and save some, it rotted and it was disgusting and it was unusable. It only was good for that day. And then you had to trust that God would provide more. And I remember that story, and it came to my mind, and I said, Lord, I know that what I just experienced was something special, was something unique, was something I can't explain, and I also know that I can't live off of this experience, that I have to trust you every day for your power and your presence. And there are people who only want the momentary. They only want the experience, but God wants their response and their action. There are others who like the word of God. Oh, oh, they like it. They want to know all about it. They want to be able to answer all of the Bible trivia questions. But they don't want to have action or response. They, they love the words of Jesus, you know, care about the little children, unless the little children are ignoring, annoying them at church. They love the words of Jesus about caring for those in need until those in need are on our streets or those in need are at our borders action or response. You know, we love the words of Jesus talking about living upright lives until it conflicts with the morality of the day. Action or response, God's calling us to it. There comes a point where God demands a response because of who he is. We, that, that's, that's the moment of deciding, am I going to be a Christian or not? I believe that there is a God. I believe that he created the heavens and the earth. Do I know how he created them? No, but I know he created them. I believe that he created a safe place, a garden for the first humans to dwell in and that they could live there in safety and peace and happiness. All they had to do was not choose to eat from one forbidden tree. And yet they chose to rebel against God, to ignore his commands, to take the forbidden. And then they knew their sin and shame. And they were separated from God. But because God loves people so much, he initiated a rescue plan. And that's what we talk about. Like in the 20-minute Bible study, we're going through First and Second Samuel. And, and it's, you see how God is bringing about the family that would bring forth the Messiah from the nation that would bring forth the Messiah and that God so loved the world that he gave his only son who became human. Jesus, God the Son, equally God with God the Holy Spirit and God the Father became human so that he might live among us, die on the cross and rise from the dead victorious over sin and death three days later. I believe those things with all my heart. 
And just because of who God is, it demands a response. Do I believe that Jesus was real? Do I believe that he died? Do I believe that he rose from the dead? Do I believe that I have sins and, and that those, those sins need forgiveness and not just forgiveness, they need removal? That demands a response. Have I experienced the presence of God? That demands a response. Have I accepted and received the word of God? That demands a response. Friend, I'm not saying that we have to have it all figured out. I'm not saying that we have to get everything in order right now, right today. I am saying that we trust and surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus. I am saying that through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of God, there is deliverance and there is life change. Job's friends repented of their religious hypocrisy, of their religious judgmentalism. They repented of their own self-superiority. Job repented of his irreligion, of his justifying himself and saying, God's in the wrong, I'm right. There was forgiveness, there was healing, there was repentance. But it happened as they experienced the presence of God and as they received the word of God and responded to it. Now here's the truth. In an online service, all that we can do together is pray and study the word of God. It's really hard to sing together. I have not yet found a way to pass food to you so we can't eat together. We can't really take communion together. There's a limitation to online. But in this moment, in the way you have received the word of God, in the way that you can pray, in the way that you can sing on your own, in the way that you can go and find the elements of communion, even if it's water and a, and a saltine cracker, but you know that the heart is there. Respond to God. Seek his presence. If you are not a believer, the invitation is to believe. If you are a believer, the invitation is to move forward in strength and healing. The presence of God, the word of God, demand responses from all of us to believe and to respond. And wherever you're at, I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that he loves you so much that he gave up heaven to come to earth to die for you and for me. And that he rose from the dead in victory to show us that he has the power to forgive all sin. Wherever you are at, if you call out to God in your heart with your voice, I believe he hears us and he welcomes us in. And if that's you, reach out. Adam at faithonhill.com, show up on a Sunday morning. Let us know that Jesus has got a hold of your life. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're a believer, we'd love for you to be part of what God is doing here, not so that our, our church grows in numbers, but so that our family is stronger as Jesus' people gather together. We meet online and in person. That means if you can't be with us in person, you can be with us in online small groups. You can be with us in comments. You can be with us in emails. You can be with us in prayer. The presence of God demands a response. Let's respond to him together wherever we're at.